David Spada is a successful attorney whose dream was to become a sports talk show host. Elliot Harris is a Chicago sports columnist who wanted to expand his media presence. In the next hour, they combine their talents and love of sports and women by interviewing former professional athletes and lovely ladies on sports and torts. But keeping the boys out of trouble isn't always easy because when David and Elliot are together, they have more fun than should be legal. Elliot, great to see you today. A beautiful day. I didn't think you were going to show up today with this weather here in Chicago. It's it's very tempting. You know, I was thinking of going sunbathing in the backyard, but I gave that uh, a second thought and thought, probably better off coming to the studio. I think Stacy is uh, sunbathing right now Stacey in the Porter. parking lot. She'll be here in studio shortly. Well, let's get right to our first guest. Uh, Hall of Fame college coach, former coach of Maryland and uh, numerous other places. Lefty Drizel. On the phone, we have legendary college basketball coach, Lefty Drizel. How you doing, Lefty? I'm doing great. You ready to get back into coaching? You have some jobs out there. <laughs> no, man, I just turned 80. But I, if they were to pay me the salary they're paying there, I might come back. You know, my first I'm job good. in Maryland, I made $14,000. That ain't make that in a day. <laughs> but that was good money back then, right? <laughs> oh, uh, that was good. It was like stealing. Because I love coaching. I would have done it for nothing. Because, let's see, I see after college in 54, you took an office job that paid you 6200 <laughs> Oh, that's true, right. And, and then I went to coaching. That was with the Ford Motor Company when I got out of Duke. Then the second year, I, they offered me the JV coaching job at the school I had attended, the high school, Granby High School, and I took that for 3200 But anyway, I've had a great career, and I'm not – hurting for any money and I have a wonderful wife and wonderful children and I got 11 grandchildren now so all I do now is just watch basketball and second guess all these coaches. So who do you like in the tournament? Well I don't know. Natty Syracuse lost their center. Right. I, I don't know. I was kind of favoring them but I, I don't think you can I never thought because I never played much zone that you could win a national championship playing the zone. There's only been two teams that did it with Michigan State with uh, Magic Johnson and the Syracuse won it one time. So uh, I don't know. I you know Kentucky's awful good, but they're awful young and they don't have much experience. But I'd take talent over experience any day. But if Natty Syracuse is out of it, I guess then maybe Ohio State's got a great team. There are a lot of good teams out there that could win it. How important is coaching in the tournament? Well. Being a coach, I think coach is very important. <laughs> if I was a fan, I'd say it had nothing to do with it. Because you got to have good players. I mean, nobody's going to win it if the coach doesn't know what he's doing or doing a good job. You're not going to luck into it. But, yeah, I think coaching is important. A lot of it is, like, psychological. You know, how do you get them ready? They've, they've been practicing. Now, most of these guys – keep them all summer to practice or they've been practicing since last June and they're tired they're probably uh, in some ways you know bored and so I think you got to use some psychology to get them up and get them excited and you know make them play with enthusiasm how important is it for the players to have experience now you see some teams that have great talent and the talent's there for a year or two and they go you see other like mid-majors where the players will stay three or four years and they're a more cohesive team. 
Well, I don't know. I remember John Wooden used to tell me one time that he said winning that first national championship is the hardest. He said after that, he said it didn't get easy, but it was. I knew what to do. I knew what I had done, and so I, I, I think the schedule that you play during the regular season has a lot to do with it. The reason, my reason for these, you know, like George Mason and VCU is because they they play a tougher non-conference schedule. They play games on the road. Most of the teams in the ACC and the Big East and the Pac-10 and all, they, or Big Ten, they don't, they don't play road games in the preseason. All they do is play, you know, teams they know they can beat at home, guarantee games, which I'm violently opposed to. It's easy to coach uh, when you have Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Bill Walton, and all those guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that makes a big difference, but you know, all the, like right now, Mike Krzyzewski's done a great job, but, you know, he's got a great university to recruit for, and he works hard at recruiting. And same way with Roy Williams at North Carolina and Bill Self at Kansas. They get good players because they work at it. One time my, somebody asked Adolph Rupps, he knew, you know, when did you win all the time? He said, because you, you got the best players. He said, isn't that part of uh, rec- uh, coaching college basketball and uh, or pros or whatever? So, uh, you know, whoever's got the best players is not always going to win, but most of the time. I'm surprised you never coached at Duke. You played there. I thought you'd be a Duke guy for life. Well, I I was offered a job. I had just taken the Maryland job, and they offered me the job, and I turned it down. And every case offered me the NC State job. They won a national championship, and I could have gotten a Florida job. Ray Graves offered me that. So I turned down three jobs and won a national championship. Of course, with your coaching, you probably wouldn't have won, though, right? I don't need to. Oh, yeah, I may not have won. Is that what you're trying to say? You sound like some of my enemies. <laughs> so what was your most cha- challenging school that you coached at? You were at Davidson, Maryland, James Madison, Georgia State. I assume they all had different challenges. Davidson was really, you know, they, they never had a winning team in the history of school, I don't think. And then Georgia State was about the same way. Maryland. Everywhere I went, Maryland, I won six games the year before I came. I averaged about eight to five or six years before I came. So all of them were a big challenge. I never got a yeah, job like Duke or, you know, NC State or somewhere that was, had a great tradition, had good players coming back. All Every place I coached was down, and I had to work to get it back up. And you won. I mean, wherever you were, you won. You won at Davidson. You won at Maryland. I mean, it was incredible. Could you have imagined if Moses Mullen would have played with you? I think he probably would have won a championship. <laughs> well, that's what I dream about all the time. But, you know, see, people don't realize this, but I was in we, when I was at Maryland, we were in the finals of the ACC tournament six years, and we only won it once because it was always played in North Carolina. The only one that see, if, if we had been in the NCAA all six of those years, we might have won it too. Like, right now, you know, Duke wouldn't be in the NCAAs, and who else lost? Uh, you know, half of the teams that are in there now wouldn't be in there because you had to win your tournament to get in, uh, which was that went on until we lost to North Carolina State in a double overtime game, and then everybody said, oh, we we got to let more people in. So the next year they let two teams in from a conference. And then it went to three, then it went to four, and now they're letting 68 teams in, which is, which, you know, is a lot more than they had when I was coaching. The most I we ever had was 
I think it was 24 most of the time up until the mid-80s. It, it seems like the conference tournaments nowadays are just designed to make money for the schools, and you take something like the Southeastern Conference, and I don't know that Kentucky was all that heartbroken about not winning the championship. They still get a number one seed. Back in the day, as you say, the conference tournament meant something. You you win and you're in. You lose, you go home, or you go to the NIT. Right, right. And you're talking about pressure now. That's pressure. And like just like I said, Kentucky, they wouldn't be in the NCAAs most of my coaching career. So, uh, you know, you had to win that tournament or you just didn't get in. The only league that you didn't have to win the tournament was was the Big Ten, and they, they, they never had a tournament until years ago. Why were all the games played in uh, North Carolina? Who made that decision? Was it Dean Smith? <laughs> no, I don't know. You know, <laughs> North Carolina, Duke, NC State, and Wake Forest, and I don't know why they did it, but it, it started there, and every case started it and played it in Raleigh. You know, when I was playing at Duke, and we had to go play on NC State's home court. But then after that, I guess the neutral site was uh, Greensboro. I think College Park, Maryland would have been a good neutral site, don't you? Well, we had the biggest field house. That's why we had the NCAA, the Final Four there twice, you know, because a cold field house was the largest, uh, had the largest attendance in, in, in the country. We had 14,500. There weren't that many big gyms around at that time. So did ESPN give you any uh, royalties over March Madness since you started it? <laughs> No, I should have put in for that, though. You know, it's still going on strong. And, in fact, around here, uh, Sears and a lot of these stores have what they call Midnight Madness. I mean, they Midnight Madness. Have sales. <laughs> yeah, whatever. No, but that was, you know, something that's just it caught on and still still going. So I'm happy to, you know, we, we you, decided to do it. How'd you come up with that? You know, usually you want to have your well, players in bed by 9 o'clock or something. Yeah, well, it was because, you know, the first day of practice, wherever I coached it, high school and college and everywhere, I made them run a mile. So they would start to practice, you know, in pretty good shape. If they didn't, if they didn't make it under the six minutes, they had to run it every day after practice until they did make it. So, you know, we always did that at midnight. And then we had Tom McMillan and, and Elmore and, John Lucas and those guys coming up on my first team. I knew it was going to be my best team at Maryland. So I said, let's get going early. We, You know, you can really start practice at midnight on October the 15th. So I said, let's run the mile at midnight, and we'll get it out of the way so we can have a better practice, uh, you know, that afternoon. And it was about a 1,000 people out there watching us run the mile. And so one of my players, I think it was Maurice Howard, said, hey, coach, why don't we next year – New Year's, I mean, Christmas Eve, why don't we uh, just have an inter-squad scrimmage? I said, great idea. So we had an inter-squad scrimmage, about 8,000 people, and it took off from there. When you won the NIT, was that something that you always dreamed of, or was that just like a consolation for not making the tournament? Mm, no, it wasn't a consolation because, see, that year we lost in the tournament to uh, – I know, but to North Carolina, I think it was. We lost in the finals to North Carolina. And so, you know, going to the NIT after that, the NIT was a tough conference then. I mean, a, a tough tournament. The only with 24 teams got in the NCAA. And, uh, in fact, 
way back even before that, you could either choose to be in the NIT or the NCAA. And Al McGuire, one year, chose to be in the NIT. But the NIT was, was big time back then. In fact, after we won it, North, I mean, uh, UCLA uh, won the national championship. I said, we're number two. Yeah, I felt like we kind of we were because it worked with 24 teams in the NCAA. And we beat some good teams in the NIT. And that, at that time, too, people probably forgot this, but you played all your games in Madison Square Garden. You didn't play on your home court or somebody else's home court, but we played every game in Madison Square Garden. And Tom McMillan was the MVP, and we, we beat, I don't know, we beat Syracuse and uh I forget Jacksonville when they had the big kid, and uh, I forgot who we and we beat Niagara in the finals, and we beat them by thirty points, which was the largest margin that anybody had ever won in the NIT. Was Jacksonville was that artist uh, Gilmore on that team? Yeah, I think it was artist Gilmore. Yeah, but it was it was a great tournament back then. It's not like now, you know. Well, now it's like so many teams. It's, they might as well have everybody put in in the tournament and. Uh... You know, I I live in Virginia Beach, and Old Dominion's playing Coastal Carolina tonight in the CIT. So now they got CIT and the BIT and the NIT, and plus they got 68 teams in the NCAA. So the thing is really expanded. Most of my career, there were 24 teams in the NCAA, and I think 12 or so in the NIT. I think your greatest accomplishment, though, was saving those kids from the burning building in 73. Well, that that was kind of, you know, if I hadn't have been a basketball coach, I don't, it probably never got the guy's name in the paper. But I was just lucky with my friend and I, my, my practice teacher when I was at Duke, he was at East Durham Junior High School, and we were down there fishing one night about 2 o'clock, and we saw these flames coming out of us. Uh, row houses up there and we ran up there and tried to get people out and luckily we were able to get everybody out but it was uh, it wasn't any big deal I mean <laughs> although three or four of them burned to the ground so I guess it was a big deal that we fact, like a lot of people a lot of ladies one lady said you all better get out of my house what are you doing in here I said lady you the one that better get out of here you're gonna burn up so we we just did what anybody else would have done if they'd have seen flames coming out of a row houses did you enjoy being a basketball analyst on TV? Yeah, I did. I did, yeah. when I did that the first year I was out of coaching after I left Maryland. And, um, you know, because I knew all the players in the ACC, I'd recruited them all. And, you know, I, and I, I did enjoy it then. Now, you know, I've done a little bit of it since I retired, but you've got to learn all these guys' names. And Vitale, that's all he talks about, who their girlfriends are, where they went to school, you know, what shoe size they were. I couldn't, I don't want to get into all that research. You know, I just, I would just tell them what's going on at the game. But I, and you don't make that much money doing it. You know, I don't, if I needed the money, I'd probably enjoy it, but I don't need the money. I mean, yeah, you got a 10 year contract in 1985, and then you resigned a year later. Did you get paid for another nine years, or did you give that money back? No, no, I, I, I get it. I got bought every cent of it. You know, got every penny of it. So, uh, you know, I, I, I've done pretty well financially, not like these guys nowadays, but, you know, I'm not complaining. Yeah, Bruce Weber walks away from Illinois after getting fired, and he, he gets $3.9 million. I know. That's crazy, I mean, crazy money. That's a pretty good deal. <laughs> yeah. 
But I guess he deserves it. You know, I don't know that coaches are worth what they're getting paid. And, of course, if I was coaching, I wouldn't feel that way. But, you know, like I said, I didn't coach for the money. I, I never had a attorney or anything. And I, I coached because I love coaching. Who is the toughest coach you went against? Yeah, I guess you'd have to pretty good. And a lot of coaches, you know, Dean was tough to beat. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of good. Whenever you're coaching, the next team you're playing has a great coach and a great team. So I wouldn't want to say who was the best. Right now, I think Mike Krzyzewski is probably the best coach in the country. But I beat him more than he beat me. I got him before he got started. <laughs> before he got all that talent coming to Duke. <laughs> yeah. How good a player in the NBA would Len Bias have been, do you think? Oh, he, I think he'd have been super. I mean, Mike Krzyzewski, he's played against all these guys, and he said Michael Jordan and Leonard Bias were the best two players he ever coached against. And Leonard Bias, you know, he, you know, we didn't have a three-point shot when he was playing, and he could shoot the three, and he could take it inside and dunk on you and shoot the jump up, turn around, jump. In fact, I think his junior or maybe senior year, we just ran, uh, we called it a special offense, and we just gave him the ball on every possession and let him do what he wanted to do. Do you agree with the people who say the only person who could stop Michael Jordan was Dean Smith? <laughs> well, not really, but I mean, Dean, Dean substituted a lot. I never did substitute. I like to play six or seven people and that was it. The only, only reason I took somebody out of the game is if they got in foul trouble or, you know, screwed up too much. But Dean did a great job of using his bench and uh, he did take Michael out a lot. In fact, I used sometime I'd I'd see him at the scores table, but I'd if they were playing a zone, which he didn't do a whole lot, I'd say slow it up a little bit. Don't let him back in there. <laughs> but you know, Michael Jordan's a great player, and and I, I recruited him, and I, I knew his dad and his mother and everybody. So he's a great, great, great guy, great player. Did you have any idea back in college that he would become? the basketball icon that Michael did? Not really. I mean, he was a great player in college, but he didn't, he wasn't like Mr. Basketball like he was in the NBA. I think he got better when he got older and he got better. He was a great player in college, but he was a, he was the best when he got in the NBA. I don't know about LeBron James, <laughs> some of these guys and Kobe Bryant now and, those guys are good, too. I don't know if they're as good as Michael, but we'll see. Elliot, Stacy basically has done sunbathing in the parking lot, and when we come back, we're going to talk to her. She might unfriend me, though, after that comment. <laughs> Wouldn't be the first person to do that to you. <laughs> I've lost a lot of friends over the last couple of days, but you're listening to Sports and Turts, and we'll be back in a second. 